0: good morning again i think sound am i worth you there yep. okay good very good it's good to be back with you guys it's been about a year and a half or so um with uh with covid and time who knows it's a it's a weird kind of era we've been in but it's good to be back i had the honor i guess maybe once or twice of of uh doing a zoom sermon and uh glad to be back here in person again and um be with you guys so thank you for the opportunity when we uh, <clears throat> come in. The closer we drive into Cleveland, the more people when they, I don't think you mentioned about we live near Pittsburgh, and I appreciate that because when I bring that up, there's a great gulf set between me and you at that point, right? Uh, the closer we serve when we go to a church in Cleveland, I go, don't mention it. Don't, don't send it. They go, and he and his wife live near Pittsburgh. Now, the last couple of years, there's been some serious gloating happening in that Cleveland area towards the Pittsburgh, right? You know, they got lucky that one fourth, first quarter 20, what's 21 points in a few minutes? What's the big deal about that? Okay, Cleveland kicked the uh, Steelers up and down the field. Uh, I bring that up to say that uh, they remind me I ain't from around there. You ever get those reminders that, uh, you know, you're not from around here? Cooper, where's my man, Cooper? Cooper and I were talking. He was sharing his life story. It's poignant, gripped my heart. I'm gonna write the book later. We didn't, we didn't really get that much time to talk, so I'll fill in the blanks later and you let me know what you think. Um, I asked him where he's from originally and um, they were near Cuyahoga Falls area, right? And we've been there, beautiful area. And then he moved somewhere when he was eight or something or eight years ago, I lost the number. I'll make all this up later, it's okay. And, uh, but you're still kind of from around here even though you're from up there, right? So you've got this, you've got this journey story, like a hobbit already. Because you ain't from around here, but you is from around here, right? I'm going to give you a break. This is all I got on you, man. This is it. Um, And so even Cooper knows what it means to not be from around here. Um, And uh, if you've ever had that experience, it can be fun. It can be exciting. You know, you get to be picked on. You get to pick back. You get to learn new things. But it can be tiresome uh, to not be from around an area, to have to navigate everything because you don't know where everything is. And... You know, we've moved enough to have to find new doctors and stores and all that kind of stuff. Um, have you been reminded increasingly in our culture, in our world, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have you been reminded more and more that you really, really ain't from around here? Hasn't that been hard, and hasn't that been holy? We have, I think, slipped. We have slipped into the past in the mindset of since we're in such a Christian, Christianized nation, I should have done the air quotes there, that we fit in down here. Right? You know, Disney 40 years ago was the good stuff. Until you really start to evaluate that even then it was full of humanism. Right? And then we see the culture shift and change. And it's not per election. It's just per the culture becoming more of who the culture is. And we feel more and more, in fact, that we really don't fit in here anymore. Who in here today has lived pretty much, uh, other than Cooper, okay? We'll give him the rest of the day off. Uh, Who around here has lived in this area pretty much your whole life? Have you felt like things have changed, even though things haven't changed? Have you felt that shift? Yeah, and most people have. Peter is writing in 1 Peter to a group of people who felt the shift far more than we can ever imagine because their faith in Jesus put them in a place to where they no longer were in their place and they were now exiles. Uh, we've watched what happened, it's been happening in Ukraine, right? 44 million people, now 10 million displaced, externally, externally placed, internally or externally displaced Ukrainians who are now scattered all over because of hard times and how much has ended their lives. Peter is writing to those kind of folks, as it were, to people who, because, if they were Jewish believers, have faced persecution because, hey, you're not acting like you're faithful to the faith anymore. You've abandoned Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Who's this Jesus? He's not the Messiah. And they have faced persecution that way. Uh, Non-Jewish, the rest of us kind of folks, maybe, who've come to Jesus in that era, we're confessing Jesus is Lord, and Rome said um, we got a problem with that. Caesar is Lord, and you need to be confessing that. I don't know; it might come up in the Book of Revelation. Have you thought about that angle once or twice? Once or twice. Okay. <laughs> you know, it occurred to me. I know you guys are going through the Book of Revelation right now, and uh, and I thought, okay, these those themes are kind of there. Those themes are. Kind of, I think Jason spelled it. In fact, I've watched uh, some of the online sermons there, and and uh, that has been. Uh, spelled out. So these people are being told, you need to skedaddle. You ain't welcome around here anymore. So Peter starts his book saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And he gives these big regions. In Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, Asia, in Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. So Peter is writing to people who know what it's like to not be around here. I think we have a book here that can help us as we feel more and more the reality that's always been true. When you came to Christ, you became an exile. You became a sojourner. You were spiritually at that moment displaced. You used to fit in as a worldling because you're with your people. But when you came to know Christ, you became a citizen of heaven primarily. And then also a citizen down here. And as you live more and more for Jesus, and we live in a world that would really like for you just to sit down and go away. We're feeling more of that too. And Peter writes some instructions for them that I think are very helpful for us, for us to live as on mission, as God's engaged exiles. On mission, as God's engaged exiles. So, as we're reminded of our citizenship, this passage can help us with that. Oh, this is cool. Robin is working the remote for me. Thank you. Pray for her. And I've got a, I've got a, a little screen down there. So I get distracted enough already, people. So I'm just going to do Cooper, are you going to pray for me, buddy? Lord, take my ma- name from his mouth. Lord. Okay, I, I heard you. I'll, I'll try to treat your name right. Do you see the segue what I'm doing here? Okay. What is some conduct for those who are God's called out people. What's some conduct here? People who are aliens, foreigners. I can see what they're seeing. Foreigners, not eating. Now I'm going to just read the screen here. Well, Peter gives us some really clear instructions on how we can live. When we'd rather huddle up and get safe and just stay in holy huddles, how we can live, As people on mission for God engage exiles Uh, do we have the verses there I'm excited I can't I can't wait to see what comes out keep going that's okay okay good how we conduct ourselves oh good this is where I want to be perfect see I'd like for us to read these verses together There's gonna be two screens of uh, verses here Um, you don't stand let's stand and read these uh, passes passage together this morning 1 Peter 2, 9, with me out loud. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own position, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Let's pray and then you may be seated. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. That you, by your spirit, would use this, your word, for this, your people, through me, your servant, that we would know more and more of our truest identity and our calling as people on mission with and for you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, I'm going to slip into Southernism and then. I just can't help it because... I ain't from around here. My wife and I are a couple of Georgia kids who've lived all over the place. We realized that when we moved to Brooklyn, that we really weren't from Brooklyn. When your youth group enjoys correcting you in a regular fashion, you realize the biggest entertainment that they get is just mocking how you talk. I've recovered. I'm not that much bitter anymore. But we ain't from around here. When I was a kid, when you got called out, it wasn't a good thing. This passage talking about getting called out like a good thing. The principal used to call me out. He loved spending time with me. It was a. It was a Regularly, he would interrupt my education for me to leave the classroom to come to the office to discuss my behavior. I got called out. So, when I tell you this morning that God's got uh, conduct for the called out, if you hear the words called out in a negative way, I got some good news for you. This is a good calling out. This is God calling out to us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin and calling us into the glorious light to the hope of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. So when we get the conduct for the called out, is, I guess there's a relationship to my elementary school years when Mr. Sanford wanted to spend so much time alone with me talking about life and how I should change mine. (laughs) I guess there's a correlation because God's called us out of darkness to be part of his kingdom, of the saints in light. And now, as Peter tells us here, we are called to live a new kind of life. And he starts with telling us our identity. You've got a new identity. Everybody around us seems to have a new identity, right? You can, you can identify as anything these days. I've got some bitter Cleveland friends who still identify as Indian fans and not Guardian fans. Can I get an Omi? I don't want to hear it. All right. Some of us identify as uh, st- uh, uh, Stiller fans. Uh, your, your man over here, Jason still identifies no pirates. pirates. Oh, just the pirates. Wow. Bills. Bills. Oh, that's right. You didn't pick up a baseball team when you were there too far away from the Yankees, had to hate, hate the Mets. Pittsburgh was the, Pittsburgh was the closest. That's a prayer request. My friends, <laughs> that's, that's a prayer request. So you can identify as whatever you want to in our culture. Here's some good news: if you're looking, you're going, "Hey, how, what should I identify myself?" It's settled for you. If you've come to know Jesus by the grace of God, because of what God Jesus did on the cross for you, His death, His burial, His resurrection, offering salvation, God says, "I've got this identity for you." And he, it's almost like with His new Israel. However, you would define this, all this language that used to be heaped up only on the picked chosen people of God is now laid on all of those who've called on Christ for salvation. You. A chosen race. I was thinking about it actually on the way over here this morning. When you're displaced, you're not sure who you are anymore. Am I still from where I used to be? Am I now where I now live? When you get displaced as an exile, kicked out, Your identity is all torn up. Wow, how kind of God to say to these people who are scattered, having to remake life, He it's okay. That's all temporal. What's eternal is you're my chosen race. You're my royal priesthood. Not just a priest. That's, That's lofty enough language. Royalty. You're talking about mixing together some powerful stuff that God says is our identity. A holy nation. We all understand the word "nation" here is not talking about uh, America. It's not talking about North America. It's not whatever country you might be from. This is not a current geopolitical thing. This is an eternal thing. A holy nation. We're we're a people for God's own possession. No matter what you see when you look in the mirror, no matter what you feel when you look into the word and. And, and you're reminded of your shame and failings, as Jason mentioned about it. even just the thought of the commandment of treating God's name and attributes with reverence and the, how that reminds us how we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. He says, I know, but you're mine. I chose you. You're royal priesthood. You represent. You're my nation. You're my people for my possession. We've been called to himself. We've been called out of, called to, so that we can call back into the darkness. And we call back into the darkness, not how people should vote necessarily, first and foremost at all, not how they should pick the Steelers over the browns, over the bills. The main thing, the primary eternal thing, we get to call back into darkness is of the excellent greatnesses of God. You say, wow, that sounds lofty. It is. But let me just ask you this. Do you know this about God, that he's good? Can I get an amen? Do you know this, God is good? How about all the time? God is good. And all the time. That's part of his excellent greatness. So part of when you're walking through life and something comes up and say, man, you sure were lucky. You say, man, I, I tell you what, God has just been so good to me. So you call back into the darkness of the goodness of God. Do you know God is great? God is great. God is great. God is good. <clears throat> you pray that over a meal or two maybe. God is great. He's powerful and majestic. and We get opportunities to tell people about the greatness of God. And they see it in the heavens, even if they want to suppress that truth. They know that there's a, an eternal being who's got great power. <clears throat> and we can remind them of that. God is good. He's great. He's Holy, separate, he's distinct, he's unlike us. We don't get to make him in our image. He's somehow made us in his image, and yet he's so distinct from us. And he's merciful. If you forget that he's merciful, remember what you used to be, and that he still called you out to spend time with you, not in the office to remind you of your failings, but to remind you he's given you a hall pass you're good it's covered it's taken care of you're his go back to the class and be his ambassador he's merciful someone says oh i can go to church the church would fall down oh i could never talk to god he wouldn't hear me go man i hear you on the one hand you're right On the other hand he wants to hear from just the likes of us he's gracious isn't he gracious now, I think you sing enough hymns, and there's probably enough old heads in here who know this song. <clears throat> Do you remember the hymn? It says, Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Thank you for the three of us who played Sing Along with Carrie. <clears throat> Do you hear that? See, tell of His excellent greatness. God wants you to tell people Of His excellent greatness. Don't get stuck on those two big words. Just tell people about Jesus. Tell them about a good and kind and merciful, gracious, holy, distinct, patient, reverent, all those things. He said, I don't know much. You know enough. You know enough. Share that. Find ways to tell, to call back into the darkness because that's your new identity. You're God's chosen people on mission to tell people of the excellencies of God. And then Peter tells us here, know your place. Now I heard that as a kid too. That might, I don't know if that's a southern phrase. Hey son, you need to know your place. And evidently it wasn't in some of the places I thought it was supposed to be. <laughs> I was actually a pretty decent kid, but it makes for a good story. <clears throat> and since my siblings aren't around to ask, it's my spin. <laughs> know your place or lack thereof. I think the church needs to have a corporate time of confession and grieving. The reality is that we don't fit in around here, and we need to confess the sin of thinking that we did to begin with that made made us get so uncomfortable so that when things showed how they really were in the world and we felt like we didn't fit in, we felt like something changed. You really didn't change. When you came to Christ, as I said, you were already a citizen of heaven. And the more you learn about Jesus, the more you realize, I don't belong down here anymore. I've been left here on mission. Last week, we were over at uh, Lance Free Church, Matt Mitchell, uh, pastor over there. And we rode by a place that had a flagpole. And if I remember the order of the flagpole, there was a, I think it was, it was a black flag on top. It might have been a POW flag. There was a Confederate flag underneath it. This is Lance P.A. I wasn't back home in Georgia for this. And then an American flag underneath that. This man had made a very deliberate statement about his allegiances and, 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 and kind of things. He's publicly in his front yard. In fact, he was there when he drove by. He may have seen me staring like, you know, I'd love to, if I had time. I'd love to stop and say, "Hey, tell me about what your statement is you're clearly making here in rearranging the flagpole, that the American flag is now on the bottom." It's interesting because for years I've told people that when we come to Christ, we re- we rearrange the flagpole of our heart. See, the top flag is the sovereignty of the nation you're under, and for us, that's Jesus. It's the cross. We don't mean that disrespectfully, but we just reverently say, I'm primarily a citizen of heaven, so what's that make me down here? A stranger. A sojourner. I'm just passing through. I don't don't belong down here. And I think for a number of of us who go, why do I not feel at home anymore? It's because you're getting a biblical taste of the spiritual reality It's always been there. And so I don't mean this in any teasing way, and I don't mean it in an dramatic way, but if you need to kind of embrace that reality and grieve your real place or lack thereof, do so, because that will position you better to know why you don't fit in down here. But have still been left here to proclaim the excellencies of God to those still in darkness. And when you feel like, some of you, for that's your family, you've come to know Jesus, and you set aside a lot. I mean, God, by His grace, delivered you from just a lot of junk. And they're kind of happy that you're not the boozer or womanizer or nasty person you used to be. But in a sense, they kind of wish you'd keep that Jesus stuff to yourself, right? There's these conflicting messages. They're not just simply delighted that God's got you on a better path and redeemed you that you've had an obvious change in your life <clears throat> they're happy for you and now shut up about it and you don't even feel at home in your family when you live for jesus or your community or in your neighborhood some of you at work know what it means know what it means to almost have to be go to talk to human relations because they know your convictions about certain things and they are convinced you're a hateful bigoted intolerant mean person They've not seen that behavior out of you, but they connected the dots for you. Oh, you're one of them? Well, you must believe this, and therefore, ergo, you hate these people. There are people who literally do not get promotions, raises, tenure, jobs, interviews, because they find out you love Jesus. You must therefore, obviously... You go, man, I don't don't know my places anymore. Well, it's still down here. And Jesus gets it. it. Remember the verse? Jesus came to his own and his own threw the biggest party and said, it is so good to have you down here. No. You know the translation better than that. You know the verse. Jesus came to his own and his own received him. Not. Not. The Creator came to the very ones and things he created, and they said, no, thank you. You really don't belong down here. You're not welcome. And didn't Jesus say if they treated the master this way, how do you think they're going to treat his servants? And if they treated the teacher this way, how do you think they're going to treat his students? So you ain't from around here. Know your place or lack thereof, and know that Jesus can relate. So when you feel that pain of rejection, you can talk to Jesus, and he gets it. He, more than anyone, can empathize and say, I know what that's like. I didn't just come down to the world I made. I came to my very people. My own family came to pull me out of ministry because they thought I was out of my mind. The boy's crazy. Something's gone wrong. Call him over here. Tell him we want to take him home and get him out. He's embarrassing us in the family name. Some of you living for Jesus feel like you've become an embarrassment to your family. Though you're the best citizen they know. It doesn't make sense. Welcome to the fellowship of the suffering of Jesus. And so we come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him as we come to more and more value, the acceptance we have in Jesus over the rejection of those who push us away for loving Jesus. So what's some of the conduct for the called out? Is One, embrace your new identity with joy. God's people called out to call back in. To know your place or lack thereof. And then start with, how do we begin our mission? Give me something to do. I get that. Okay, start with this. Start with saying no to your own sinful desires. It is easy to turn on the news and within two minutes have a whole list of things that disgust you and irritate you, and you want all these people to repent because they ought to, and they're all in a handbasket going to hell real quick. That may be true, but the starting place is not railing on them, but smelling the reeking that's still going inside of us. Uh, i got enough of my own stuff to worry about. Does that mean I ignore and shun what's going on in the world? No. But to best prepare us to be on mission as engaged exiles starts, Peter says, with abstain from fleshly lust because they're waging war against my soul. There are opportunities in front of me and from within me that dishonor God that I need to say no to. What, what are we talking we talk about? The terrible twos. What's characteristic of the terrible twos? No, no, I was asking the question. Oh, you, oh, yeah, yeah, that was the answer, right? They're brilliant. They're know-it-alls, right? <laughs> no, no, no. We had a friend that, uh, I think it was one of their sons, at one point said to his mom, and you don't say no, this is a little kid, up to mom and dad, and you don't say no, and you don't say no, and you don't say no to me. <laughs> it, it was cute because he wasn't our son. It was just adorable. We laughingly quote it to this day and think, if our kid had said that. <laughs> we need to adopt a toddler's attitude towards our sinful desires. We need to say no, abstain. What is the reality of that? Is it means I still have sinful desires that present themselves that I would like to play along with. Inside of me, inside of you, and external temptations as well, are still these desires. I've, been, I've known the Lord since I was seven or eight. I'm 61. You would think, would hope, but no. Maybe that's a relief to some of you. Maybe that's discouraging. Wait a minute. He was a pastor 30 years. He's known the Lord all his year. Bible college, seminary, all of this kind of stuff. And he's still, yeah. And you too. So we can all breathe a mutual sigh of relief. Every one of us in here have got junk that we need to consistently, by God's grace, keep saying no to. So younger believers, it's okay to go ask an older believer to pray for you because they should be able to say to you, first, I get it. (laughs) I get it. Me too. Not that. This. You pray for me and I'll pray for you, okay? Say no to simple, uh, Saying Abstain. They wage war. Keep away from fleshly desires that battle against the soul. Uh, battle is not a passive word. This is on guard. This is aware. This is at any moment. Have you ever been stunned how fast your mind can take something pure and just make it rotten? Am I the only one here? I'm not, Okay, all right. So I didn't think so. Just me and you the only ones fessing up at this point. I got you. Your pastors are rotten guys What I'm here. <laughs> and the DS, he's worse. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we can, our, and by God's grace, he enables us See, it's not a temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to all of us. But God is faithful, because with any temptation, He's going to enable us with His grace, by His power, to resist that temptation, that we can bear up underneath the burden and fight in the weight of that. So, for you and I to be back engaged exiles, on mission as God's called out, it starts first with battling not the culture but with carry okay hold on you're supposed to personalize that you okay not you battling Carrie. all right you tracking with me there coop where's coop i thought you thought you were catching slack over there right <laughs> say no to sinful desires and we can do that by god's grace do that in the community of believers through the word Another reason it's important to be together with God's people. If there is a time where we enjoy an oasis of rest, it's with when we gather with God's people, because it's a unique setting, isn't it? And we can relax with each other in a different way. And we can be rebolstered to go back out on mission. And then Peter says, here's what I want you to do next. Go out and live convincingly, Christian. Be, live such good, good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives among the pagans. Outlive them. And here's the really cool thing. When you live as much as you can like Jesus out among the world, they will, they will they'll lie about you. <laughs> this verse has so much honesty about it as if the other ones don't, but it says here, live such good lives among the pagans, so when they speak evil against you, what? You would think that they go, wow, we've been watching your life. We want to commend you. You deserve the raise. Here's the corner office. We entrust you with the company budget, the trucks, the keys, everything. Now that happens, but more often than not, what might happen is they go, they return your good with evil keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers so you came this morning you wanted to claim a promise from god here's a promise from god lord i'm claiming it that this week someone will speak evil against me for doing good can i get an amen (laughs) can i get an oh me what did jesus say in this world you'll have tribulation but be of good cheer I've overcome the world God's world prepares us God's word prepares us with reality so we can live faithfully in the world so those of you who at work have lived for Jesus and felt shunned if you're living for Jesus at school it'll get you rewarded with lonely Friday nights possibly it just will there's going to be some really good parties you'll hear about on Monday that they knew not to invite you because you're a wet blanket. Because they're doing stuff that doesn't honor Jesus and the last thing they want is someone there who's going to remind them, just by their very presence, about the love of Jesus. And it doesn't stop in high school, does it? You're going to get excluded. You're going to get lied about. You're going to be... They're going to slander you. As an evildoer. I have a moral obligation self-imposed to quote, it's a wonderful life in every sermon. I want to fulfill that duty right now. If you've not watched that movie, I'm not sure how we can even talk anymore. So you just repent and go watch that movie. You watch that movie? Okay. All right. We gotta talk about what that yes, that hesitation. I don't okay. You didn't like it. That's what that meant. It's a great movie. We were in Indiana, Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago. That's where Jimmy Stewart's from. I just I wanted to cry in the middle of my sermon thinking I'm close to where he's from. But that's beside the story. Back to the other diversion we're on here, which is It's a Wonderful Life. Remember how he goes to the bar and he finally prays and he gets gets punched in the face? That's what I get for praying. Now, he'd acted like a jerk on the phone to the teacher's wife earlier and deserved it, right? But some of you have felt the punch and saying, that's what I get for living for Jesus. And Jesus reaches to you with nail-pierced hands and says, yeah, I get it. I did it completely right, and they killed me. So if you're going to live on mission for Jesus, no, you don't belong down here. Remember your identity. <clears throat> Deal with your junk inside, but just keep living convincingly Christian, because someday they will glorify God. Some of you have had this. <clears throat> At work, they exclude you. Oh, you're a preacher man. Some of you have heard that, right? You especially if you came to know Jesus and he started changing. Oh, don't become one of those holy rollers. Oh, you're one of them. But then they get bad news from home. And they, get a, they find you by yourself and they go, hey, you pray, right? I just want to ask you to pray for my, my mom, my family, my kid. my." Many of you have had that happen. They go from scorning you, teasing you, kind of respecting you. Yeah, he's a good guy, but oh, good grief. But then they had a crisis. And they know there's a solid person. They come to you. And at that moment, our flesh can say, are you kidding me? The way you've treated me, now you're asking me to talk to God. You've mocked me because of God. And maybe I'm just that big of a sinner. But our flesh... We need to be reminded Jesus on the cross, two criminals, both started the day blaspheming. One, by God's grace, repented. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Me and you together today are going to start off eternity together in the very presence of God. So you're going to have people who start off their desire, relationship with you mocking and abusing you. And then they turn to you. And by God's grace, you get to minister to them. Outlive your detractors with an honorable life. Tertullian in 200 AD <clears throat> wrote, the early Christians had already established themselves as a persecuted lot who were still reaching out. I read an article just last week or two about uh, thank, if you like hospitals, thank a Christian. In early, early uh, pandemics, and diseases almost led to hospitals because Christians in unorganized and organized ways would stay behind in plagues or go into cities where there were plagues and serve people and risking and dying to go serve people in a plague. And they had so many people, orphans and, and others, that they needed to organize, cares, places to show Christian hospitality you ever notice that word hospital has the word hospitality in it? Of a love of a stranger? And that, because it was a crisis in the culture, and Christians, when people were fleeing out, Christians flooded in and took care of the dying and the orphans and the abandoned babies because they'd rather not have it. It was a girl or it's an extra one, or we just didn't want this kid, we can't raise it, Let's leave it here and hope it dies. And Christians say, oh no, we'll take that kid, thank you. The early reputation of Christians, though they were slandered about, they were called uh, incestuous because they said, I love you, my brother and sister. They called everybody their brother and sister, and people say, ah, you guys are a bunch of incestuous people. They were accused of cannibalism because they talk about eating the bread, the body of Jesus. People will take anything they can and lie about you, but they also know that Christians, when they're living like Jesus are the best people around them. Tertullian said, it's our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. By the way, we've branded ourselves in the eye of our opponents, by, opponents the last few years by being enraged exiles. And how's that work for us? I, I'm calling on us to abandon being enraged, exiles to be engaged, exiles and Tertullian says we've branded ourselves because of our kindness help, help care of the helpless only look they say look how they love one another your neighbors see this about you and know this about you how cool is it that your neighbors know that your house is a safe place for their kids and that you have a ministry in that neighborhood unlike others maybe it's because you're home maybe it's because you welcome your home They know your house is a safe place with standards. If their kid has a need, how wonderful is that? I mean, as a parent, who doesn't want to have a good neighbor who's loving on their kids with them? What a blessing that is. Be convincingly Christians. They quit hearing us a long time ago. Do we quit speaking? No, we keep speaking. We keep telling them about Jesus. But when they kind of let you know, okay, okay, I get it. You go, okay, plan B, which is still part of plan A, not just say it, live it. Live it. Live convincingly Christians so they will someday glorify God. There, I am convinced, will be people who when they face the judgment of God, they will be held accountable. Not just because they know there's a God, because He's a great Creator God. because He's in, Obviously, there's an eternal being with phenomenal power romans 1 tells us but they will have seen jesus lived out in your life and they're going to stand before god and, and god can hold even even more accountable because they heard they saw because every knee will bow every tongue will confess there will also be others who will have already bent the knee and confessed with the mouth because they they heard you talk about jesus they saw you live for jesus They were curious. God worked in their hearts and someday they were called out of darkness into his marvelous light, alongside of you to call back into the darkness of his excellent greatnesses. We're to be on mission as God's engaged exiles. Know your identity. In the world of people with confused identities, ours is sure and certain because of God. And since he gave us his identity, it doesn't change. It's not based on what we did. Know your place, or lack thereof, and know that Jesus understands what it's like to have no place. Deal with your junk by His grace, and then live convincingly Christian. Let's read together this uh, Matthew 5:16 uh, a couple of times out loud, and then we'll pray. Read it with me, please. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven again let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven thank you lord jesus for this your word that you understand what it means to be to not fit in but you stayed on mission you, you accomplished the work that was given you to do and may we by your grace do the same And it becomes, Lord, more tempting to withdraw into holy huddles. May we stay connected with your people in good and holy and encouraging ways so we can be edified to be on mission together. Sharing the good news of Jesus. Living the good news of Jesus. Would you encourage those today who are seeking to do this and are feeling, as it were, the punch in the mouth from the culture? You understand, Lord. Give rest to your weary believers so we could get and stay back in the field of service to your glory and to your honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.